Yeah, shout for joy. There'll be 20 bucks for you at the end of service. <laughs> oh, man. That's priceless. Okay, but I don't even know where to start with that one. Oh. Luke 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. This is how the Christmas story begins about these other Two people. The Bible says Zachariah is a priest. He's been working as a priest. That's what you did for your whole life. He's married into the priestly line. They were good people, righteous and blameless, but they didn't have a kid. They had no child. And it says they were both advanced in years. So if you know the Bible, you know that a priest would work from the age of 25 to 50, and then he would go into an apprenticeship kind of program, raise up his successor, and retire at 55. So that means Zachariah is only at the maximum 50 years of age. And the Bible says he's advanced in years. I'm like, 50? That seems like there's a lot of tread left on the tire to me. Amen? My goodness. Just throw them away. I had advanced in years. I'm like, really? Goodness. So here's what he is today. He's a small town pastor. He's been doing it his whole life. He's worked tirelessly in the ministry. He's done everything as well as he possibly could. But he has no kids. You got to wonder, is he disappointed in God? Is he mad at God? I've served you this way. I've given my life to you. I've been as righteous and as blameless as I possibly could. Are you kidding me, God? I want a child. I want a child. And they have none. You got to wonder if he felt cursed. Because the very first command in the Bible is be fruitful and multiply. In the Hebrew, it means have five children, I think something in there. <laughs> so here he is, he's doing everything he thinks he's supposed to be doing, but the one thing that he really wants, he doesn't have. So here's what happens, verse eight. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This was a huge privilege. 
There's about 18,000 priests according to the Old Testament. That's a lot of priests. He only had one guy going in and burning incense. So in order to make it fair, they would choose by lot, okay, if you get in or not. So a lot of priests would go their entire life without ever being able to go into the temple and burn incense before the altar of incense. This time, Zechariah is chosen. It's huge. It'd be like being a guest speaker at a Billy Graham crusade. Are you kidding? This is awesome, right? So he's in. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, why were they outside praying? It could be that they knew the Old Testament and they knew this, that being in the presence of God was actually dangerous. That sometimes in the Old Testament, people would be in God's presence and they would do something wrong and they'd be killed. Aaron's first two sons were killed in the presence of God. Uzziah reached out and did something he shouldn't. He was killed in the presence of God. Like it's a, God is good, but he is holy. It's like the sun. The sun is good, but if you get too close to the sun, what happens to you? It just tears you apart. It's kind of like that. And so there's a tradition that says that when a priest would go in and do this, they would actually attach bells to the hem of his robe so they could hear him tinkling. No, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) They could hear him ringing. That's a better word. I'll use that one. (laughs) Maybe that happens. Some people, when they're afraid... Sometimes that happens. (laughs) So they'd hear him ringing in there. And they'd tie a rope to his foot because if the ringing stopped, they'd just pull him out. So maybe they're praying that he makes it. Please, please don't let him get killed. So right in the middle of this, The whole multitude was praying and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and Zechariah was troubled. (laughs) Bet he was. And when he saw him, fear fell upon him. What did I do? (laughs) I won't do it again, I promise. This is my first time. Great fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. How long has it been since they've prayed for a child? Years. They probably got married in their teens. They'd stop that prayer years ago, decades ago. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go who will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Bro, 
no, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a kid. Joy and gladness. Does God hear prayers? The Old Testament over and over and over and over. God hears our prayers. But God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we would want him to answer our prayers. He's like a good dad. Good dads will answer requests by yes, no, and wait. Right? There are three answers. So Myron, my six-year-old, if he asks me, dad, can I have broccoli for dinner? I'm a good dad. I'm going to say, yes, you can. Dad, can I go read a book? Yes, you can. Dad, can I have the keys to drive to Mexico? Wait, wait on that one. Dad, can I drink a six pack of Mountain Dew? No, right? Just that's what good dads do. So God's the same way. It can be yes, it can be no, and it can be wait. And so right here, God has said to Elizabeth and Zechariah, wait, wait, wait. And this is kind of an absurd promise. Because Zechariah will find out, says, hey, my wife has passed that time. She's through menopause. Are you kidding me? This isn't happening right now. It's an absurd promise. When you read your Bible or you listen to the radio or you listen to a message and you hear a promise out of scripture from God that seems absurd, how does your heart respond? I'm here to promise about freedom maybe from your addiction or from a generational curse thing that your dad did and you do and you see your kids doing. How do you respond? Look how Zechariah, this priest, who'd been serving his Lord for at least 20, 25 years. Listen to how, how he responds. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I love that. I'm old and she is ancient. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's what he just said. <laughs> so bad. And the angel answered him. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. This good news that Gabriel's like, man, this is supposed to bring joy and gladness. Instead to this priest, it brought doubt and cynicism. Show me proof. Are you kidding me? This isn't happening. I don't believe you. Does Gabriel sound a little mad in this text? Right? He's like ticked. Nine month time out for you, bro. Sit in a corner and think about this for almost a year. All right? That's what I'm doing to you. I wonder if angels have a break room in heaven where they go back and they're like, you would not believe this human today. Golly. <laughs> Bring him this great news. He's just a cynic and a doubter. Ah. So you have Zechariah, who's a priest. He's serving God. He's studying God's word. He's burning incense, one of the most 
high positions you could ever have. He's doing it, but guess what? He's filled with doubt and fear, right? He's afraid of this angel. That's amazing to me. That people can be way involved in ministry and way involved in service and way, and they can be doubters and cynics like Zachariah right here. Okay, so tuck that story in your mind. Story number two, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. (laughs) Angels and humans don't seem to play nice, do they? Like, uh uh-oh, what's he doing here? Right? She tries to figure out, like, what are you saying? Supposed to be really positive. Like, hey, you're awesome, sister. But he's like, she's like, hmm? Why are you here? Do you need money? Did you run over my dog? What's the deal here? Like, why are you saying this to me? Why have you showed up? So the angel says, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. What an absurd promise to a 15 year old girl. That's crazy, right? 2,000 years ago, there was no adolescent period. You were a kid and then you got married and you had kids. That's crazy, right? You get a job, you have kids, you raise them. Now adolescence lasts like 20 years. It's longer than childhood. It's like, (laughs) stay this way for a while. This is awesome. All the privileges and responsibilities without having to pay for it. This is so cool. So she answers, verse 34. Mary said to the angel, "Um, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's like, hey, I know where babies come from. I took that awkward seventh grade health class like everybody else. I know where they come from. (laughs) And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Fantastic. Then we skip ahead, pick up chapter two. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So Rome is the empire at this time. It is powerful. 
Rome has this all of a sudden idea. Hey, we should put out a census. Now, the only reason why governments put out censuses is to find out how many people there are so they can figure out how many wars can we fight and how much money can we make. It's a power and money play. All governments really care about power and money. So here Rome is doing its thing. Let's find out how much money we can make. Let's find out how many people we have. And so they have this idea, let's do a census. Right at the time, Mary is pregnant with Jesus and living in Nazareth. But the Bible says, Micah 5, 2, Jesus needs to be born in Bethlehem. Here's what this tells us. God uses empires like Legos. Empires think they're so powerful and we're doing what we want. We're gonna make these decisions, power and money. And God's like, yeah, whatever. I need to get a 15-year-old girl down from Nazareth, a hundred miles south of Bethlehem. And I'm gonna use you to do that. Should give you great confidence. No matter who's in charge, it's God. That's what we know. He ultimately moves the world the way that He wants the world to be moved. Okay? So here she is. The Bible also prophesies that she's going to be a virgin giving birth. Well, Matt, that's my struggle. I just, biology, all this stuff, come on, virgins don't give birth. I'll say this, everyone, atheist, agnostic, believer, religious, you're all going to believe in a virgin birth. It'll either A, be the virgin birth of Jesus or B, the virgin birth of the universe. Those are your two choices. Which one's harder? Everything that you see, just bang, it's here. Virgin birth or Jesus. You'll believe in one or the other. So here's Mary. 15 years old, great with child. She's up in Nazareth. She has to get 100 miles south down to Bethlehem before there was planes and trains and automobiles. Ladies, when you were great with child, if you're asked to walk 100 miles, what would you do? Would you just denounce your faith? That's it, I don't believe anymore, I'm out. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Well, Matt, maybe she rode a donkey. Is that better? Like, have you ever ridden a donkey? It's like, uh, uh, I mean, how many times do you have to go pee? Like, I gotta go pee again. I gotta go pee again. I gotta go pee again. This thing is crazy, man. Can you run any smoother? Goodness, right? It's not a fun trip. They're not showing up to an Airbnb either. They don't have anywhere to stay. It's not fun. Have you ever gone on a long trip with a loved one and had issues? Anyone ever? Ever get just a little bit of murder in your heart? Like, ah! I mean, just imagine this. This is five to seven days. She's great with child. All the hormones, all the craziness, all the, oh, like Joseph is like, we have stopped 17 times in the last 15 minutes to go to the bathroom. I can't do this. It's a crazy trip. And then she gives birth. It says that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Who did that? There's no midwife here. This is a teenage girl giving birth to her first son by herself. How hard is that? That's why I tell my kids all the time, hard's not bad. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's bad. 
Hard's not bad. Yeah, that's hard. It's hard as ever. And here's this 15-year-old. She's the original teen mom, isn't she? Like, we don't trust our teens today with iPhones. She's trusted with raising God. How crazy is that? Here you go. Raise God. Good luck with that. Then, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Phenomenal. You have an angel showing up again. Same response, fear. From all these angels, Three times in a row, angels show up fear, angels show up fear, angels show up fear. And the angels say this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Phenomenal story. Two points that maybe you haven't seen before in this. Two gifts, if you would. And these two points, I think, if you read the whole of the Bible, these are the heart of God. Doesn't a good gift always represent the heart of the giver? Right? Spouses, if you get a really good gift from your husband or from your wife, you know what? They've been paying attention this last year. They know me. Oh my goodness, this fits perfectly. This story is put to remind us of the heart of our Father. And it's just, it's throughout the Bible, right? So first one, it's from Zechariah. The cynic, the doubter. The priest who's involved, he's doing it all. He's there, he's on it. And then angel shows up, says, hey man, you're gonna have a son. He has no faith and he has great fear. Look at chapter one, verse 67. He appears again. And his father, John's been born, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. Some of you need to underline, circle, highlight this verse. The doubter, the cynic, the guy with great fear, the guy that just completely was like, forget it, man, that ain't happening. The guy that was in a nine-month timeout, He's the guy that now God's spirit fills and he speaks prophetically and authors the scripture. How amazing is that? You have to know this about the heart of the father. He does not cast off failures. He does not cast off failures. You can feel like a failure. You can feel like you've blown it. You can feel like Zechariah. I had this opportunity, this great promise and I had doubt and Man, God must be done with me. No way. He becomes an author of scripture. He was filled with God's spirit and he began to speak 
prophetically. It's awesome. There is no three strikes and you're out rule with God. He is the God of the second chance. And he always gives more second chances because with God, it's only a second chance because he's forgotten. He's chosen to forget about the last time he gave you a second chance. Read the gospel of Micah, his sins he puts away from us. He remembers them no more. How good is God? Read the Bible and think about the saints. We call them saints or the heroes that God uses. How good were they? Moses, he's a murderer. Anyone in here murder somebody? One guy in back who's like, yeah, you got a problem with it, dude? (laughs) No, sir. No problem here. Dave was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. David was an adulterer. And yet God calls him a man after my own heart. Jacob was a liar. Hosea was married to a prostitute. Noah was drunk. Martha had OCD and anxiety complex. She did. Jonah ran away from God. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Abraham was a deceiver and he deceived over and over. He had this habit and it got his wife into a lot of trouble. He did it over and over. I can go on and on and on. Here's a Christmas gift for you. God gives second chances. God gives second chances. That is the theme of scripture. God over and over uses the most flawed people to accomplish his purposes because he is the God of second chances. And here's a tactic of the enemy. The enemy wants to come to you like Zachariah and say, God can't use you, you doubter, you cynic, you fearful man. God can't use you. And the enemy still uses that same tactic today in our lives. God can't use you. You doubted him. God can't use you. You had an abortion. God can't use you. Fill in the blank. It's a lie. It takes no faith to believe the lies of a demon. Don't believe them. Read the Bible, please. Look who God uses. You'll fit in. I'll fit right in with this crew. No problem. God delights in using the overlooked the doubter, the cynic, the Moses, the David, the Jacob. God delights in using them. That's number one gift. Number two, there's a pattern. Every time an angel shows up, there's fear, right? Angels show up and there's fear. Have you ever, has anyone here ever met an angel? I have. I married her. Christmas will be good now. (laughs) So cheesy. I think I've used that like every Christmas. Prepare for it next year. Angels show up and the immediate response is fear. Zachariah, ah, what are you doing here? Mary, greatly troubled. And the angel says, hey, don't be afraid. The shepherds out in their field, great fear. Why is that? I think this is the reason. You have to tune in for a second here. But I think there is a design flaw in humans. And it comes from the very beginning of the book. Where Adam and Eve are put into a garden. And God's mandate is this. If you do what's right, you'll live. It's called 
theologians call it, the covenant of works. And it is the base way that you and I work. If you really think about your life, you believe that if I do things right, I'll get good things. If I do things wrong, I'll get bad things. That is the base way humans work. It's the way we do. It's the code, if you would, that's behind everything else in our lives. The problem is this. We don't do it. And our conscience kills us. We know we should be kinder to our neighbor. We know we should be more forgiving to people. We know we should have held our tongue and not said that. We know we should have kept our temper. We know we should have been more truthful, less selfish. We know we should have got up earlier. We know we should have worked harder, spent less time on social media, more productive with our life. We could be an Instagram influencer right now if it wasn't for Netflix. If we would have just practiced harder, we could have caught the ball. If I could have just gone for it more, I'd be a contender today. All that is this thing in the back of us that's the covenant of works. And you can do some things right and still the covenant of works will come and check you. Okay, so you donated a kidney. Yeah, but you failed your sister. Should have been there longer for your mom as she was passing away. Should have been kinder to your neighbor. Whatever it is, the covenant of works will come and check you and say, you didn't do enough. Remember the movie Schindler's List? A phenomenal story. He's a hero, Oscar Schindler. Saves over a thousand Jews from the certainty of death. Trades his fortune to do it. How's that movie end? Is it, yeah, Oscar, you're so good? No. The movie ends with him taking off that gold pin and looking at it and saying, I could have saved one more Jew. I could have done more. When I saw that, I said, that's the perfect example of the covenant of works. I could have done more. I should have done more. Why didn't I do more? That's the code by which we all live. So when the angels show up, here's what these humans are thinking. Uh-oh, time to pay. Uh-oh, all the failures and all that I've done wrong. Every, okay, now is the time to pay the piper. And it's rich, educated, it's poor, it's male, it's female. It crosses all boundaries here. It's all of it. You failed. Imagine if a perfectly holy, powerful being showed up in your garage today. How would you feel? Would you look at that angel and be like, bro, 2019, I killed it. Read through the Bible in a year. Prayed every morning for an hour. Prayed for my community. Prayed for my family. Prayed for my pastor. It's awesome. No way. It'd be like staring at the Grand Canyon. You'd be like, oh, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Covenant of works. I am a failure. I'm a failure. So that's why verse 11 is so huge. They say, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. And this good news is supposed to bring you great joy. Why? Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. You're saved. 
What do you and I need to be saved from? Is it our sins? Is that why Jesus came to save us from our sins? Wouldn't the system that's outlined in the Old Testament take care of sin? The temple, sacrifice, confession, that whole system. Doesn't that take care of sin? Yeah. Psalm 19, seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. If you could just do what it says in the Old Testament, no problem, you got it, man. You're saved from your sins. But Jesus comes on and he talks to these people that thought they were doing the Old Testament perfectly. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to unpack what the law actually meant. He says, hey, congratulations. You haven't killed your, your, your neighbor. You are awesome, man. Yes. You can take a baseball bat to your neighbor. You are so amazing. He says, but if you've been angry without a cause, you've already murdered him in your heart. Congratulations, you haven't committed adultery. Good for you. But if you've looked upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed it. So Jesus extends law. It's not just outward action. It's an inward movement of your soul that then leads to the outward action. And then he ends chapter five by just saying this. Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. It's a command. Anyone struggle with that command? They're like, now I got that. Yep, pretty good. Now you just blew it then. You're not perfect like God anymore. Right? Jesus is coming and saying, you can't do it. What are we saved from? Us. We're saved from us. Our inability to do it. Our inability to be kind. Our inability to be the nice neighbor we're supposed to be. Our inability to keep our tongues. Our in, just fill in the list. Our inabilities. He came to save us from us. That you and I were born broken. Do you know that? If you have kids, you know babies are born broken. One of my sons, when he was 18 months old, if he did not get what he wanted, he would do what we called the face rake. He would just take both of his hands and rake them over your face, poking eyelids, scratching retinas, pulling down lips, did not matter, just rip. That's what he would do, 18 months old. Where did he learn that from? When Charity gets the remote before me, I'm not like, raw, ah! I, we know that's not how we roll, right? Where do you learn that from? Man, it's bound in the heart of a child. It's there from day one. You're born broken. What did Jesus came to save us from? Me, I'm my worst enemy. No one out there, not my neighbor, not his dog, not my boss, not, no. I am my worst enemy. And Jesus comes and says, I'm gonna save you, Matt, from you. That's the best news in the world. And I'm gonna save you from you your inability. The good news says this to all of us. I shared this with staff on Tuesday. I read this statistic. I thought it was so amazing. There's this group, it was, it was about a decade ago. They went around America and they asked, what are the favorite things you want to hear? When you hear these phrases, you're like, yes. So I'll give you the top three favorite things Americans like to hear. Number one, can anybody guess it? 
Someone said it. I love you. Number one. Guess what number two is? I forgive you. Guess what number three is? Supper's ready. How good is that? I love you and I forgive you and supper's ready. That's the good news. Jesus came and he says this to every single one of us. I love you and I forgive you and let's have a meal together. Come and eat with me. That this is just a little foretaste of a coming supper, the marriage feast of the lamb where you and I will celebrate echoing out into eternity with the one that saves our souls. And so we're gonna take communion together. Grab it, hold it. If you're on this side, head out that way. If you're on, not yet though, I'm gonna pray first. (laughs) I'm just prepping you so that when I explain it, you're not all walking already, which you already are, so. If you're on this side, head that direction, come back around, makes it a lot easier. And we're gonna have supper with our king. I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. So Jesus, thank you that you give second chances. It's the hardest scripture. And thank you that you save us from ourselves. That as we sup with you and as we hear from you and as we walk with you, we become more like you. We're saved from us. So this morning, as we partake, may we accept the Christmas gift of the good news again. That we are loved and we are forgiven and we're invited in for dinner. And I pray this in your name. Amen.